Hi, I'm Dirk Friel, co-founder of Training Peaks, and you're listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. I'll be sitting down with expert endurance coaches and amazing athletes, each with special stories to tell. At its heart, Training Peaks is about helping you create the best journey possible towards your endurance goals. We hope these stories inspire you to get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge. As much of the world starts to ease up on COVID-19 restrictions, we are starting to see more races being scheduled and more athletes starting to think about their race day plans. Ryan Cooper joins me on this episode of the CoachCast to discuss considerations for your race day pacing, what metrics to leverage during your race, and what to think about within your training as your next big race approaches. Ryan is founder of the Best Bike Split app and chief scientist at Training Peaks, and is a world-leading expert on the physics of cycling. Numerous world tour cycling teams, Olympic teams, and pro triathletes have sought Ryan's advice over the years to help them prepare for their big events. I hope you are one of those athletes getting ready for a race this year, and if so, good luck to you, and I hope you enjoy the show. All right, Ryan Cooper. Hey, thanks a lot for joining me. Where are you down in Austin, Texas these days? I am uh, in uh, rainy Austin, Texas. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's been rainy all over the States, but uh, you know, as racing comes back, hopefully it starts to warm up and it is, isn't as rainy for folks as they tow the start line out there. Ryan, tell us more about yourself and, um, you know, how'd you, you know, we met obviously and brought you into training peaks and kind of give give the listeners a little more background on yourself. Sure. Um, so yeah, I guess I, to start off with, I, I, my kind of entry to an endurance sports was, uh, I started off as a, as a triathlete, just an age group triathlete, um, racing back, uh, when I got out of college. So this was, whew, man, back in, 2001 <laughs> started, yeah. doing, started doing a lot of uh, uh triathlon 2001 2002 2003 um started short distance and and then kind of as as one does started to, to go longer and and you know got bit by the the iron man bug um around uh i guess i was 24 at the time and uh yeah, so that that was kind of my my foray into endurance sports. Uh, I I ran in high school um, and and did track short short distance four hundred meter kind of things. Um, and and at the time I was working um, was working in the defense industry, so doing work on airplanes and and things. And uh, and eventually went and and did a little startup. And as I was doing that, I, I started to get more interested in applied math and, um, went in <laughs> and started a PhD program, uh, did everything but my dissertation. And as I was doing my dissertation, uh, I got really interested in the idea of, uh, kind of modeling performances and, uh, optimizing, uh, pacing strategies and optimizing, optimizing performance, uh, and so my, my dissertation topic was supposed to be around that. And instead of doing, uh, my dissertation, I said, Hey, wait a minute, there's other people like me that, that may want to use the same kind of thing. And so, um, my business partner and I, uh, Rich Harple, we started, uh, best bike split 
And so little did we know how, how well that would, uh, kind of take off and, and spe- specifically in the tri- triathlon community, but, um, it kind of shot, shot out faster than we, <laughs> we were anticipating. And, and as we met, uh, we became part of the, the training peaks family in, in 2014. So, uh, it was super exciting time, uh, 2012 to 2014, kind of building all that out and, and, and really getting to, to see like something I was passionate about and, and getting to do that every day for, for work was, was pretty amazing. So. Yeah, it's been, been awesome. I, I love, you know, optimizing performance and that's certainly what we're here to chat about today, but it's more around, optimizing performance, setting goals, um, really kind of geeking out, if you will, on on the technical side of racing. We're not going to get into, you know, zones per se or interval sessions, et cetera, but it's more about the technical side, things to consider, how to, how to I, I guess, predict and model out what you what your your best performance might be and then how to pull that back into training and we certainly need to practice you know your race day strategy in training so we'll talk about a bunch about that so uh, you're the perfect person to uh have this chat with um you know and, and we have all kinds of listeners certainly so i certainly want to try and cover somewhat all of our bases if you will you know there's a broad spectrum of race strategies. You know, I have everything from mountain bike, cross country, gravel, road racing, simple road time trials, all the way up to, you know, Ironman, um, you know, triathlon, short distance triathlon, and even, you know, trail running um, and all kinds of different, you know, listeners out there. So we want to try and um, cover our bases and give everybody something to walk away with that they can incorporate into their training. So you know, what are some things we we would uh, consider when we're thinking about setting goals around our races? You know, I think let, let's start with like opposite ends of, this, of the spectrum and why are they opposites? Um, you know, again, I'm thinking like mountain bike versus Ironman triathlon. What, what are the similarities or differences between, you know, those type of races when it comes to modeling your race day performance? Sure. Um, and, and even, you know, within, within mountain biking, you know, you have multiple different types. Whereas true, if you look at Ironman versus say Leadville, there may not be that much difference in terms of the bike portion of an Ironman, right? right? Like in terms of you got to have enough fitness to be out there for a long period of time. Right. Right. Um, but if you start to look at cross country, like, like look at short course and in some of the more technical type, uh, mountain bike, then there's there's quite a bit of difference, right? Whereas uh, one one is going to be a as an Ironman is going to be very steady state. You know, you're out there kind of at this endurance effort, and you you need to go for a long time, and the fueling required for that, and and kind of keeping that keeping that effort level uh, consistent. Whereas mountain bike, if it's technical, you know, there's no way to keep your effort level consistent because you're going to have, you're, you're going to have the course that you have to deal with, right. And the variability that, that you have to, to deal with on the, on the day. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you still are going to have similar type of, uh, I guess, uh, training specificity. So, you know, if, if you're training for a specific, type of mountain bike race you're going to want to do uh in training things that are 
going to be similar to that type of race, right? So if there's different types of climbs that you're going to have to do, if there's different technical sections, if there's different skill sets, you're going to want to really uh, make sure that you've, you've trained and practiced those. Uh, whereas in Ironman, you know, a, a lot of it's going to be kind of more steady state, long endurance type of, type of activities, right, to get ready for it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and then you have the the drafting effect. You know, you have uh, road racing, gravel racing. Sometimes even in mountain biking, you want to you know be with a group. Um, but that drafting effect makes things very difficult to model a race. <laughs> I mean, you've had to deal with that working with pro, t- you know, world tour teams for sure. Um, and, and it's a yeah. different mindset. So, so modeling, you know, originally when we when we started Best Bike Split, everybody was like, "Oh, this is a great time prediction tool." And, and while while you can use it for that, and a lot of people do, one of the things that I, I really enjoyed in, in working with some of the the tour teams is in the Olympic teams are, you know, looking at at it more as a as a kind of generalistic model and saying like, okay, if we have a pack and we kind of know what type of power that that those lead riders are going to be pulling on a pack, and we kind of treat that pack as a as a you know, kind of a single entity, right? Right. We can start to say like, okay, well, you know, these are, these are the kind of like times that we can expect. Um, Here's the kind of power that you could, that you would have to do to stay in that group. So whether you're sitting kind of in the middle of the pack, if you're yo-yoing off the back of that pack, if you're at the front pulling, you know, what, what kind of, what kind of dynamics um, can you expect in, in those different areas? Right. So, um, another thing you can start to look at is, is more strategy based and start to say like, okay, well, if there is a lead group out, out in front, um, how much time can you, can you give them and know that you can pull them back in, right? Given the course right. and given the weather and given, you know, how, how this, this pack can ride, uh, when they need to and how fast they can go when you have a, a good steady set of riders pulling out front, um, and so you can really kind of start to look at that and then also say from the opposite, when is it the best time to maybe send a group up the road, you know, based on your goals, um, you know, for the, for the, the big teams, they may have different goals. They may just want to send a group just to have TV time. Right. So that, that can be one thing, but if, if you really want to kind of attack different stages, um, where would be an opportune time to, to potentially, try and make sure that you have somebody in the break because um, it may stay away. Yeah. You know, I th- if we pull it back to even age group amateurs, if you're looking at a course and it's draft legal, let's say it's a road race, Grand Fondo type of thing. Um, you can, you know, best bikes, best bike split would help you determine those crosswinds and headwind sections. Oh, so be sure. thinking ahead of where is it, so we're talking about pacing in a draft legal type race. Therefore, where is it best for me to draft? But that same section where you might have a crosswind or headwind, where it's a great place to draft, could also be the optimal place to actually attack or, or gain time on on a on a field. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I mean, we you know it, it, into a direct headwind, it may be it may be tough, right? You, you're gonna you'll have uh, it. it kind of depends on the uh, willingness of the group to work, right. Um, mm-hmm. it, to, to pull, pull anybody that, that wants to try and get away back in. Um, 
you know, on a, on a tailwind, it, you're going to have to just due to the aerodynamics and like how you're going so fast. And so to try and like pull away in a tailwind is going to be really hard because you have to go even harder to, to try and like, to break that elastic. Right. So, right. Um, so for sure. And, and one of the things that we see even in gravel racing, right. Is if, if you have this kind of crosswind and, and you're limited on the, on the size of the road, right. So you, you can't have these huge echelons, um, you know, just cause you're, you're limited in space for people to fit. So the draft right. impact is not quite as good. Um, if you can break in kind of an area where you have these kind of strong crosswinds and it's harder for people to mount that, you know, that chase and then the course turns and suddenly that big crosswind's now a tailwind. Well, now it's even harder for them to, to kind of pull that bridge, that gap back in. Right. And we've right. seen that happen in, in some big races before, um, uh, where, you know, Tony Martin's done that famously several times where, you know, he's not, he's not going to win the tour. Uh, but, but he'll go off on a four hour solo, uh, solo race or solo, solo ride and, and win a stage. Uh, and, and, and he's done that in the past with those same kind of tactics. Yeah. And I think it's the general gist here is don't wait for it to come to you. You know, you be thinking ahead. And if you've scoped out the course, overlaid that with the weather pattern of that predicted day and the closer you get, the more accurate that's going to become. I mean, right. certainly if you can't always do this six months out, there's prevailing winds but as you get closer to the race, you can see the actual predicted wind pattern of that day and know like, oh, this is a great place to attack. And therefore, I'm going into a tailwind and it'll be uh, I'll be able to maintain my gap, for example. So that really certainly plays into your strategy in a in a draft legal race, um, you know, thinking about the wind patterns. Um, also, you know, for any race or or triathlon there's this kind of 20 K rule of thumb, you know, the 12 miles an hour mm -hmm. kind of, kind of uh, rule of thumb. Once you dig into that a little bit to help people understand where they might be able to uh, make up time or not lose as much time. Sure. So, you know, th this was kind of uh, something that, that we, we noticed in, in time trial specifically. So we always, we always had this question where it was like, well, where is it? Where, at what kind of speed, if I'm going up, you know, up some kind of some positive gradient, uh, what kind of speed is it where I can like sit up and, and not have to like, and I'm not really, you know, just giving away time. Right. And, and we kind of came up with this like, you know, 20, 20 kilometer rule. And, and it turns out to be, you know, pretty 20, 20 kilometers an hour, uh, speed rule where, you know, if there's no significant headwind or anything where it's, where it kind of amplifies that you, there's not that much benefit, right? So you, you're just not going fast enough to where the arrow impact is all that much. So if you're kind of going slow up a hill, um, you know, there's a, there's a good time to like let your body relax a little bit in terms of you're still going to be pushing big power, but you can, you know, stretch your back out. <laughs> you can, you can get right. out of the saddle and, and kind of stretch your legs a little bit. Um, in, in the same thing, you know, kind of holds true, for mountain biking, for other things where you're just not going as fast. So it's not quite as, you know, important for, to, to stay in those kind of tucked arrow positions. Um, so one thing you can kind of think about too, is, is if you're, you're in a, um, you're going uphill and, and you're part of a, you know, a, a pack, right? Like suddenly now this is where, uh, 
watts per kilogram can come in really handy, right? Because like if everybody's going slow and you can do this burst, right, where you, where your you, your watts per kg are, are higher than the next person, you can really put some significant distance uh, in in these sections so where you're where you're going slower, right. So is this a, a a good time to eat or not? Where might people think about, you know, where is the most optimal time? Let's 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 obviously narrow it down to the bike right. to think about eating um whereby you won't lose much time. Um you know, and there's certain sections where you certainly try not to eat because it's so darn fast let's say right for so so you know if 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 you're moving if you're on a flat into a headwind i wouldn't eat right like i mean you you may need to so i mean if if you have to and you have to do your nutrition you have to but um but you know there's there's certain places where you know if you're if you're pushing pretty good power in in and you're trying to minimize the impact of the wind, right? Then, then it wouldn't be great. Now, if you're sitting in a draft pack and somebody else is doing it, and you're sitting in the middle, then maybe it's not so bad, right? Um, now, you know, up a hill, it, it may be hard to like to because you're already pushing big power and, and you're going slow enough to where it's not going to impact you. But you know, you may just not be able to like actually consume any calories, and and by the time you do, it may be too late. So. Um, you know, I think the key is you want to um, you want to minimize any time loss, right? So into a tailwind, or, you know, with a tailwind is not a bad time. So if you have a tailwind that's going to go into a climb, then it's probably good to go ahead and top yourself off before you hit the climb, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if there's if if you know there's a big headwind section where you really want to stay arrow. And, it, and it's a time trial or, or it's something where you're, you're kind of by yourself if you're out on a break or something, uh, then, you know, that would, wouldn't be a place I would suggest like, you know, sitting up and, you know, spending a couple minutes eating a sandwich. You're, you're, you're going to want to like be really focused because every time, you know, you, you get out of position, it, it's kind of like you're, you're the, the stopwatch is going and you're starting to lose time to, to the people around you that aren't doing that. Yeah. Um, if we jump over to running, you know, how about, you know, the, the concept of, um, what normalized graded pace, mm-hmm. um, you know, really fundamentally understanding it really, a lot of it comes down to RPE and this internal pacing clock that you have, cause you can't always go off your absolute pace. Oh, and, and I think that's, uh, always got, uh... One thing I don't want to say irked, but I always like you know you'd get those like pacing uh, right little sheets or whatever right. But it was always like okay if you want to run a you know an hour thirty half marathon here's your pace sheet right and it's like right. it has no knowledge of what the course is or what the day is or what anything is right and so you're 100 percent correct it's like you know you're either if you're in a race where you're racing you know for a podium right then then it becomes more of a of a tactical race you know you you're in a group or you're by yourself or you're starting and, and you're trying to figure out what other people are doing and should you go or should you not go with them and um and so in that case you know your pace what's on paper may go out the window immediately right <laughs> and so yeah. uh but then i also like to to think of if you're if you're trying to just have your best day right on that course um then, then you have to look and look at the race and see see what the course looks like, see what the weather is going to look like, 
and then and then a lot of it is going to be RP, and it's and a lot of it's holding back early too, right? Because your RPE for whatever pace it is at the beginning of a race may not be the same RPE for that pace at the end of the race, right? Um, and so, you know, I think looking at, at your watch and saying like, okay, I've got to hit an eight ten, um, you know, or I've got to hit a seven thirty for this mile, you know, well, maybe you need to hit a seven fifty for this uphill mile and then, a you know, a seven ten for this downhill mile. So, um, there's, I think normalized graded pace, uh, you know, a lot of times it's something we look out after the race because it's really hard to get that in real time. Um, I know power running power is something that you can use that, that does that a little bit, right? Cause if you kind of have an idea of what power target, you know, it'll, it'll force you to go slower on the uphills cause you'll, you'll have that kind of power will be higher, you know, for the effort level on the uphill and then downhill, it should be lower. And so if you're kind of trying to maintain that steady state power, um, you know, run power, then it, then naturally you should slow down and speed up at these different portions of the course. Um, one thing that's, that's tricky is that I know a lot of, a lot of runners, especially in the marathon side, you know, they're trying to hit that Boston qualifying time. So you do have a time and you do have a pace that you have to hit. Um, but even then knowing the course and knowing when to apply those faster paces and slower paces and when to like kind of reserve and, and push to still hit that same time versus just hitting a steady state throughout uh, where you may, you know, blow, blow yourself up on a hill on an uphill and then, you know, kind of shoot, shoot your time out of the water. Um, it's, it's always important, I think, to even if you have that kind of pace to, to still have that RPE and that, that internal clock, as you said, to say like, okay, this is, I know, I know I need to hit an 820, but I've got this two miles of hills. So I need to like, I need to <laughs> measure myself and, and that RPE effort up these hills, knowing that I'm going to have to like maybe do a little bit harder when it gets flat here in the next few miles, right? Right. And you mentioned running with power. So for those that have never experienced that, what might be the limitations of running with power? Where is it ideal? Um, you mentioned racing with it, you know, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I know there's, there's some limitations, like you're not going to use power in a long trail run where you oh, might right. be power hiking <laughs> right. up a 15% grade or something. Right. So, you know, there's, there's definite limitations. It, it is, it is, it's an algorithm that is based on, you know, acceleration and hill strike and all kinds of different things. Right. And so, um, you know, it's, it's not quite like, you know, power on a, on a bicycle is measuring the real torque that you're pushing through the pedals. Right. And so, and then you can, you can equate that directly to, you know, speed and other things with if you know the different variables and in running it's the power is you know is another equation based off these other variables right so um yeah so i, I think like uh just like pace a lot of times even in road racing like i would think it's it's you should be used mostly in like kind of normal road racing scenarios right where you've practiced it and you kind of know all right well 
these are kind of my numbers. Here's what I can do for an hour. Here's what I can do for two hours. And I can kind of, kind of gauge my performance that way or, or my, my ideal pacing right off of this kind of power number. Um, but, but things like, uh, trail runs and stuff where you're, you're not, it's not so steady state. You're, you're doing a lot of uphill and it's a lot of mix of walking, like you said, power hiking and, and running when you can. And, and so there it'd be, a, it'd be a lot trickier to, to try and gauge, um, cause it's not going to be able to do these algorithms aren't going to be able to handle like what your grade is very well and those kind of things. So, um, so I think that would be a limitation. The other thing would be um, something that we we've talked about before is kind of this environmental impact, right? So, oh yeah, if you're training, you know, if I'm training and it's sixty degrees or fifty degrees all the time and it's great, and then suddenly it's eighty degrees and eighty percent humidity, then you know, trying to go out uh, and hit a certain power target, well, that that may <laughs> that may be setting myself up for disaster in the in the later half right so um and that that goes through for cycling as well so pretty much you know anything where you're you're looking at where you typically train and in, in the type of environment you typically train and if the race is going to be significantly different different from that right I, you know first thing that hit my mind when you said our environmental and you said heat I actually thought altitude you know if you mm-hmm. are training on east coast or somewhere lower altitude below 2000 feet and you're training for a trail race that is you know over 7000 feet or or higher you know you got to take that into account you can't have the same pace on race day as you've maybe experienced at a lower altitude so any kind of general rules of thumb around altitude yeah so i think uh i'm trying to remember the exact the general rule of thumb but it was something like for for cycling anyway uh, it was something like 4% drop for every 3000 feet or something. I'm sure there's mm-hmm. a better, <laughs> there's a better metric calculation for that somewhere. But, it, but I always thought like, uh, you know, from Dallas to, you don't think about it a lot, but Dallas is pretty close to sea level. It's like 400 feet or something, uh, or maybe lower. Uh-huh. Um, and we would go out and race in Lubbock and you think Lubbock, Texas, you're like, well, that's, you know it's all flat, but it, it's kind of the, it's the high plains or, you know, the, the kind of steady upward trajectory from, from the Mississippi up to, um, up to the Rockies. It kind of starts after you hit Fort Worth. So, uh, Lubbock's at like 3,600 feet or something like that. And you, you don't uh-huh. think about it, but even that little bit can impact your, your bike power by, you know, 3%, 3 to 4%. So, um, a lot of people just in terms of like kind of your FTP type of number. Um, so, you know, a lot of people didn't take that into account and they, they do end up like kind of overshooting the mark. Um, and then if you, it's, it's fairly, it's exponential. So, you know, once you get up to that 10,000 feet and you get up to like Breckenridge and stuff like that, then that's a, for, for those of us who train at sea level, that's a that's a big change. <laughs> right. So. Yeah. If you're if you're going more than five thousand feet above where you typically train and, and live, you know, think of it as a percentage for every thousand feet up. Yeah. You know, that that means, you know, rough numbers, three hundred watt FTP. Now you're now you're down to uh two eighty five, right? So 
uh, doing my math right here, 5,000 5, foot difference, 5%, 5 times 3 is 15. So 285 versus 300, right? Right. And that's, um, that's a significant change. And in, in, in depending on what type of effort and what type of to, type of ride and, and race you're doing, um, I remember we did <laughs> we did this uh, altitude study. My wife and I. This was back in 2009, and uh, and it was a little. I can't remember exactly who who put it on, but they had about a hundred people from sea level, and we did the kind of army physical fitness test at sea level. So, you know, you, you sit ups yeah. and your push ups and all that, and then you had a two mile run. And and at the time, I was in in pretty good shape. So. I think I did right under 10 minutes for the two miles at sea level. Uh And uh, in a few weeks after that, they flew us up to Denver and then we got on buses and we went up to Breckenridge High School or whatever. There was a track at Breckenridge. Summit High. Yeah. (laughs) We we had to to get off the bus, no, like, no, you know, just right off the airplane into the buses, up to the thing, off the bus, and had to do uh, repeat that same test. And I remember the, the two miler, uh, like I, I knocked out the first 400 and you know, the 75 seconds or whatever. I was like, all right, I've got like no problem. And then it was like, I got hit by a brick wall dragging right. our bricks and it, it ended up at like 1230, I think for the two miles. So like a right. two minute and 30 second, like decrease, Absolutely. you know, like it like, yeah. hit, um, and, and most people ended up like right around like two to three or four minute like impact. But like my percentage was so much worse, right? Because my original time was was pretty fast. So my actual percentage of loss was huge. And then uh, turns out like the, the outcome of the study was that I am not very good at, you know, changing altitude basically and so so they kind of they did do some genetic things and and showed that like some people are more prone to altitude sickness and my wife and i are are a more prone to altitude sickness and suffer or performance suffers or all right at altitude so uh (laughs) i know that if i'm gonna go train it out if i'm gonna go raise at altitude a don't expect to be on the podium (laughs) and then and then b you know make sure that i that i've uh taken it into account in my planning and know like, okay, like I'm going to have to, to drop my, my percentage significantly, like for the effort level. So, right. You know, I I think about putting a governor on the effort. If you Mm -hmm. had thought about, you know, I'm going to start out this, you know, the first half mile, but I won't allow myself to do faster than X, you know, per, per 400. Um, you know, I think this can be, leveraged when you're in a self-pacing type race. You are not in a group dynamic where drafting is involved. Um, You are more or less doing a time trial, a lengthy time trial. Therefore, you can set some actual setting governors for the effort, especially that first hour can really benefit you. And I think about, you know, a long race I've done that's like six and a half hours and it starts with an hour long climb but the last 90 minutes is a climb, you know, in a six and a half hour day. And my, my bad years, I've lost, you know, 20 minutes on the final climb versus my good years where, you know, I've been 20 minutes faster on the final climb. And that all came down to 
having a governor on that very first climb from the start gate. And I just, and for me, that's RPE, but it's also heart rate. You know, mm -hmm. I won't allow my heart rate to go above X. And I've learned through experience where that kind of line exists. Um, so that's a good thing for people to think about, but that comes with experience. You know, it certainly comes down to having done the race before and knowing when I blew up and taking that data and, you know, making a new strategy going forward. So that experience plays a whole lot in terms of uh, pacing. For sure. And, and there's a, there's a reason there, there's rarely, I'm trying to think if there ever has been, at least not in, not in the last 15 years, uh, a rookie, you know, like a, a first time Ironman pro comes and wins Kona, right? Like it just doesn't happen because of that same thing, right? You have to, you have, it, it's a different beast, right? You go in and it's, it's not like the race that you use to qualify, right? You get there. Right. If you don't have that governor, right? If you don't have, um, and, and I think I'll have to remember, I think even for Dano, like where's the heart rate? Like you, a lot of these pros, they go off power, they go off of, you know, the tactics on the day, but they'll still let people go if, if, if their heart rate, uh, you know, in RPE, if that governor, if, if they're yeah. on the red line right. and they're like, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm going to have to get them back later because I know if I'm on the red line, that person's really on the red line. Right. And I'll, right. I'll see him again later. So, um, I think like you said, it, it comes from experience and, and knowing what an RP, you know, what, it should feel like what what does this level of hurt feel like and is it more than that well if it's more than that there's some reason for that and i need to like back off right and, right. and i think um i think a lot of you know novices and and i know i'm i'm guilty of it too like we we don't have a good bearing of what that what that feels like you're like okay well it should hurt um but it yeah maybe it should all hurt but you know, there's, there's shades of that hurt. Right. <laughs> and right. So, and that's why I like heart rate because it, you know, it's a real, it's a real number. So if you can train yourself to what, you know, a 160 feels like a 170 feels like a 150 and a 130 and, and kind of relate that to an RPE, um, then if it's super hot, you'll, you'll kind of know, right. You, you know, okay, wow, this, this is feeling for this pace or this power, it's, it's feeling worse than it should. Um, and you know, most of the time it's feeling that way for everybody else that's out there too. Yeah. You know, a lot of what we've been talking about really comes down to, you know, leveraging your experience. Um, you know, and if you are newer to the sport, you know, I say just get out there and race and learn to suffer and, and afterwards, you know, figure out where did you go wrong mm -hmm. and collect the data and sit down with an experienced coach and go through your race day data and your pacing and where could you have made up time? Where did you go too hard? Maybe you went too easy. You know, that starts to hone that internal, you know, RPE rate of perceived exertion. And, and if you are sitting down with someone experienced, they can maybe help, help you train that internal RP even faster. Um, but don't get overrun by too many numbers in your head or governors and this and that. If you're just starting to race, just get out there and learn to suffer, you know, and collect the data. And then you can start to hone it from there is, is, is my experience. Um, we've been talking a lot about bike and run, but certainly can't 
uh, pass up the swim. You know, there's obviously fewer or, or sometimes none, no devices, you know, leveraged within the swim. Um, but talk about pacing of that, environmental conditions. You know, we've talked about wind, et cetera, but there's currents. Um, you know, let's cover off on the swim portion as well. Yeah, that's a, it's interesting. Like it, swim is always, uh, it, I was probably best at swimming, surprisingly. Um, and, and yet it was my, you know, it's the, it's the thing that you think about the least in terms of devices. Like you said, it's, it's, you can't really look at a device when you're swimming because then you're not swimming. So, so it's kind of, you know, like I see these swim watches and I, and I was wearing a Garmin and I was swimming a couple days ago and I was like, this thing does me no good during, but it, but it's kind of gets back to your point, right? Like it's not for the during it, right. It's for afterwards. So you can look at it and say like, okay, well, where did, where were things like clicking? Where was it going well? And where was it not? Right. Um, right. Um, so, so a lot of it is going to be RP and, and that's a great, like swimming is a great place to really kind of hone, like, this is what something feels right. Like, so if you're, if you're, I think about it in terms of open water, um, but in a, in a pool, you can, you obviously know, you know, you do a set and then you look up at the watt, you at the clock and you go, okay, that's what a one fifteen hundred feels like. Okay. That's what a one thirty hundred feels like. And so you can kind of, you can kind of gauge it that way. Um, so, you know, I think currents uh, <laughs> is interesting spotting and <laughs> spotting and currents and, 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 and swimming a straight line, right? Like trying to be equal on, on your body side. So, right. um, I always was amazed. Like that was the one thing that I, I felt that I could always do really well is swim in a straight line. And, and it was amazing how much time you could make up by not, you know, <laughs> by not zigzagging up and down the course. Um, being able to breathe bilaterally, like a lot of swimming is such a skill base. And, and, you know, I, I, I put mountain bike in the same category too, where, where, you know, eventually like with mountain bike, the better you get the lower power that you'll go and you'll go faster, right? Because you're just right. so much more skilled and swim. Right. Swimming is kind of the same way. If you, if you learned young, you see the, the guys that, that were on the swim team when they were six years old or whatever, and, and swam in high school and college, like it's so much less effort for the same or faster speed, right? Because <laughs> I they're know, just I know. So skilled at it. And, and it's, and it's kind of like, it kind of makes you mad a little bit. Cause you're like, well, how, like I'm out here working hard and I'm like, my heart rate's up and I'm pushing hard and they're going so much faster than me. And it looks like they're not, you know, they're not trying at all. Uh, and it, it's just such a skill based, um, space sports. So I, I think like, you know, really focusing on those fundamentals for age groupers, um, you know, if you're trying to go pro, there's a, you know, there's a diminishing return on, you know, if you're a really good swimmer and you, you swim when you're young, like you're, you're, you're always <laughs> going to have an advantage. Right. Right? Um, right. But for age groupers, you can make so much, uh, you know, so much improvement by by doing you know little things so like swimming in a straight line making sure that like when you're doing open water that you're really you know practicing uh being comfortable in the water swimming on both sides so that if you have big waves you can you know you can you can breathe on both sides when you need to and you're not getting a mouthful of water um with currents you know same kind of thing knowing knowing when you need to push hard you can kind of think of it like a headwind right well, right. okay. The smoother I am in the water in a, in a current that's coming at me, you know, uh, 
I'm going to make more time, right? If I really focused on being smooth, being consistent with my strokes, <laughs> then when you turn and the current's at your back, then you're like, okay, well, this is great. Now I can, I can relax a little bit more. <laughs> I seem to be the opposite. The, the rougher it was, the more I wanted to look up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's, yeah, it really is. And, and you end up like slowing down and, and it was, I, I used to love choppy water cause I was like, okay, I can gain some time in this. Right. Ah. Um, and, and so, yeah, yeah, that was, a uh, for open water swimming, that's, a uh, it, it's again, it's, you gotta be comfortable, right? So the more you get into it and the more you, you practice it, you know, safely, obviously like the, the, the better that you're going to do. Yeah. You know, while we're on skills, you mentioned mountain biking. I did a local mountain bike park yesterday and thought I was really cool. And then I saw a video today of a kid doing it and he was clearing like two jumps and I had to like, <laughs> I had to go, I had to go in between the trough and like, you know, pump it, you know, and the mm-hmm. kids in the air, like clearing both of them. But you know, you, there's certainly the same thing can be true in triathlon and cornering and descending. If, if you have a technical course or a lot, you know, just a lot of cornering in a city type, um, a course, mm-hmm. you know, working on your cornering and descending, um, and, and crosswinds, you know, some people are so comfy on their TT position. They can sit there and rock out, you know, in a crosswind, but in the very same wind, um, you know, half the field might be sitting up on the, on the hoods yeah, because they just aren't solid enough. That's a, uh, it's a great point. And, and it's, uh, one thing, it, you know, the geeky side of me, like, and you look at all the aerodynamic charts and stuff and you'll notice right. the most aerodynamic, <laughs> like, you know, position or the most aerodynamic part of all these like components and frames and wheels and all that stuff, like to get into those like areas, uh, where you have like the lowest drag, it's going to be a heavy crosswind. <laughs> and so, right. like, and so a lot of people just like the cur- just like a current in swimming, exactly. And so, like, uh, you know, it's it's kind of this these angles where you're gonna to get into that type of angle, you're gonna have to have a pretty significant crosswind for most people. And so, you know, it the people that are comfortable in that are getting a really big advantage to the people that are sitting up. And so, right. Um, so it's, it's even amplified, you know, in that, in that case, um, in terms of cornering, they just had a capital of Texas triathlon to an Olympic triathlon down here in Austin. And they had that last weekend and, um, it's a four loop course in downtown Austin, or it used to be. Um, and so you'd go right up to the Capitol and it's just every, yeah, maybe quarter mile you're having to change directions. Right. And so I always think about that and, and how good, uh, you know, the, the athletes that, that were also roadies and were able to like really corner, take U-turns, do those mm. kind of things and get back yep. up to speed, uh, always did so, so well there. Um, because it's just, you know, it's a, it's a technical course. And so when you get these, these technical courses or, uh, even Ironman Texas a few years ago, I think I counted had 91 turns. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Course. Well, that so, could come down to equipment selection as well. The pure most aero equipment may, may not be best in a very strong crosswind, especially the lighter you are. If you're a 120 pounder, you know, versus a 190 pounder, you know, the 190 pounder could probably take a deeper, you know, mm-hmm. section of wheel. The lighter you are, you probably have to go um, narrower or you know, less uh, cross section of wheel. 
Um, and, and likewise, you said 90 turns, like maybe equipment that's you can ramp up faster and sprint with. Exactly. Yeah. If you can get it, it in those cases, it's, it's so much about acceleration. Right. And so like you getting back up to speed. And so you, you look at like the disc wheels and stuff and they hold speed really well. But if you're constantly getting faster and slower and faster and slower, then that's not really an issue. Right. Like it's it's getting back up to speed that, that becomes right. becomes the bigger problem. And so. You know, in those cases, a lighter wheel set that's that's not so so deep is, is maybe not a bad thing. Um, uh, similarly, like you're saying, with all the all the turns, uh, and then on the crosswind, you know, if you're not comfortable, then it's not the right wheel set, right? Like right. for the day. So if you if you well, can't yeah. stay aero, then then you know you you need something something uh, different. So. There are, that reminds me of the article you sent me, the check check mm-hmm. chick. Um, Jana, I think her name. She, uh, it was uh, Tulsa, Ironman Tulsa that she prepared for. But you know, she talked about <clears throat> holding her position on the indoor days. You know, on mm-hmm. Zwift. You know, if you can't hold your position for more than thirty minutes without having to like get up and stretch your back, well, you probably need to train in that position more or change the position. Exactly. I mean, that, it, you see that so much where, where, you know, depending on on what kind of it all comes down to like training for the race. Right. And so, you know, uh, you talk to, to her coach or you talk to, to any of the, you know, a lot of coaches, it's, it's, if you're not, if you're doing something different in training than what you're going to do on the race, then, you know, you, <laughs> you, you can't right. expect to have to have the, the best result. Better. Right. right. So now if we bring it back into training or now the race is, you know, five months away, going in and setting a goal, I, th- I think an underlying kind of rule of thumb here is try to stay away from a time goal, right? Yeah. And I mean, have it be more intensity part, focused. Unless, you know, unless it's Boston, right? Like that's the one <laughs> time that I can think, you know, like, cause in that case, it's not, it's no longer about like training for the course. It's finding the right course that can get you the time. Right. It's you flipped it. <laughs> well, Hey, let's talk about, uh, crossing the finish line and under, what is it? 16 hours and 59 minutes. Right. Exactly. So, so if that's your goal, right. Then you, you say like, okay, well, where am I today? Right. Where, what are kind of my power levels? What kind of training? What's my CTL today? You know, what, what kind of training load do I have currently and where can I realistically get, you know, given time commitments, family, you know, ability to train, uh, how far away I want to make this goal. Right. Is it in six months? Is it in 12 months? Um, and you can start to say like, okay, well, what, what do I need to get these kind of numbers to, to be successful? Right. Um, and, and so I I think for the most part, you know, a lot of, you know, if we look at kind of the typical age group triathlete where, you know, maybe they're trying to do Ironman, uh, maybe they're trying to do a half Ironman, you know, for those, I'd say, stay away from, stay away from time goals if it's not just finish, right? Like, um, and the reason I say that is because every race day can be different, right? We talked about environmental, we talked about, you know, the, what's, what the course is like, you know, so you can't say like, 
my example was always, you can't say like, okay, I'm going to, I did five hour bike ride at Ironman Florida. So let me shoot for a five hour bike ride at <laughs> Ironman France. Right. Right. <laughs> right. right. With 10,000 right. feet of climbing, it's not going to happen. Right. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, we're laughing, but that's certainly, that is the, where people start from. Mm-hmm. You know, they typically say I've done this. I should, let's try and beat it by 10 minutes. Well, <laughs> geez, not the best strategy. I mean, in my head, I think intensity first. So mm-hmm. how am I going to gauge my intensity? What should my, you know, we say IF intensity factor for the race B, whether that's heart rate or RPE or power, mm-hmm. you know, you, you can think about intensity factor, no matter what you're tracking. Um, I, I tend to go into race thinking about IF first intensity, what, sh- what will my intensity be for this, the duration of the race? And then I might break it down into segments. Well, the first hour of the race, I don't want my intensity to be above X. Okay. Therefore my heart rate should be below Y. Right. Um, but then I might have time splits. I, I have previous years, I have time splits, but I have to be, you know, you need to be flexible with those time splits because of the environmental, um, impacts, you know, you know, there's not every year is fast. Right. Right. So it's like, okay, I'm going out with this intensity, this target power, heart rate, RPE, um, but you know, and here's my time splits along the way, but Hey, I understand it's a slower year. Therefore it's okay to be five minutes off, you know, and be flexible with that. Right. And, and I think that's, that's something really important is, especially if you're doing the same race like you, like you mentioned, um, you know, in your head, you're like, okay, well, right. I'm going to beat my last year's time. But what you, what you really look at, like you're saying is, okay, at this IF, maybe my numbers are higher this year, right? Meaning like maybe, Maybe I have a higher FTP or, or, you know, heart rate's a little different. Maybe I'm going, you know, I'm able to, to go faster for the same heart rate, et cetera. Um, but you do those like sanity checks along the way. And that, that's what's great about, you know, repeating a course and, and doing that is saying like, okay, right. the first hour, right? Like, okay, where am I after the first hour? You know, or how long did it take me to get to this, you know, this specific you know, point of interest or whatever, this location. And you can do a sanity check and go, well, how does it feel? Like, did it, okay, I'm faster. Did it feel harder? Did it feel the same? Do it like, is this kind of where I want to be? And, and, um, and, and so it gives you just another, another point. Whereas if you were doing a brand new race, you've never done before, you, you don't have those points of reference anymore. Right. So then it's, it really is based on, you know, pretty much IF and, or, or, you know, your RP and saying like, okay, well, how, how am I feeling an hour in? How am I feeling two hours in? Is this, this where I expect to be? Right. Maybe knowing them RP is going to, going to start to get harder as the day goes on. Uh, but, but it, it, is it doing what the plan says I should do? Right. So, right. Yeah. And for those who are shooting for podium, mm-hmm. that's the highest risk of all, no matter what your age group pro or amateur if you're shooting for podium in you know these big events, you are pushing the envelope. The risk is going up. Your intensity factor must go up because you're on a world stage, national national stage, or whatever it might be. Um, you know, if you're shooting for podium, the risk factor is enormously high because you're pushing the IF up. Right, and and I think um, yeah. So if you you think about like uh, Ironman kind of rules of thumb, and this is this is from your dad. Um, you know, when, when you look at those kind of IF, um, 
in, in right. PSS rules of thumb where you're at 0.75 or 0.78 or whatever for of FTP for, for like kind of the bike portion. But you look at some of the pros and a lot of those are, are if they're a big power cyclist and that's their strong suit, they know they have to push there. That's the, that's the cards they have to play. Right. And so, right. you know, they may push at 82% or 83 or 84% knowing that, that, you know, that's their advantage and that's what they, they have to do to, to hit that podium. Right. So, or to have a chance to hit the podium. So uh, yeah, they're, they're pushing the envelope in certain places knowing, well, I may have to pay for this in the run, but I'm hoping like when I get there, it'll, you know, it'll, something will kick in and I'll be able to, to sustain it through. Right. Yeah. And when I say risk, you know, it's the risk of completely blowing up, not finishing. And, you know, one of the largest risk factors is, is shutting down your nutrition, Mm -hmm. um, whereby your, or your stomach, just your gut can't process, you know, the carbs that you need per hour. Once that goes, you know, the risk factor isn't even quadruples from there if you all of a sudden can't eat anymore. Um, so word of caution there, if you're shooting for podium, a lot of this is really just a gut check along the way and you're pushing the envelope on everything. Um, yeah, you know, we got to cover off on CTL. A lot of people, you know, kind of ask the question, what should my chronic training load be, you know, on race day? Uh I think we have some maybe rules of thumb. We're certainly not going to sit here and say what you should target. Um, but, you know, let's start with like uh, ramp rates. What's your your thoughts around increasing um, chronic training load, you know, week to week? So, yeah, we, we've talked about this a little bit. And, and something that we, we look at is, uh, you know, it's it's going to be, it's kind of multifactored, right? So, um you know, there's, there's some, there's some people, uh, and there's some literature out there that says that you shouldn't do, you know, more than, than four, right? Like four, four points, I guess a week. There's, there's other rules of thumb that say five to seven, you know, 10 can be really high. And, and my kind of view on it is it's very dependent on where you are. And if you kind of think about, um, you think about, anything is, is kind of this, uh, it's a curve, right? And so if you're right. pretty low and you just started, right, you can ramp up pretty quickly. Meaning if I'm going, right, if I'm, if I've only been training an hour a week <laughs> and then suddenly yeah. I go to two hours a week, it's going to jump up pretty significantly. Right. So it'll jump up from like a four, a four to a 12 or a 13 pretty quick. Um, and, and so that, that'll, that'll be pretty high. Now, the higher you go, um, the harder it is to to ramp, right? Now you may be able to sustain more of a ramp, but like it, it's it's just harder to get the time in, right? Meaning that it's hard to go from fifteen hours to twenty hours, and in that, in but it's easy to go from one hour to three hours when you're when you're first starting off, right? So, um, I will say that you know you can kind of look at ramp rates and then and also look you know your negative TSB um, so your 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 balance um, mm-hmm. and kind of use those in conjunction so you can look at it and say like okay if I'm ramping too high and I'm starting to feel mm. fatigued then right. know, maybe I'm I'm it's this is too high and I need I need to back it off. But if right. I if I suddenly have all this time in the world and I'm at 110 CTL. And I can sustain a negative 30 or 40 TSB for, you know, two weeks at a time or whatever. Um, 
then then I can have a, a higher ramp over that that same period, right? Yeah, that's a really, really good point. I mean, we started out thinking about one side of the equation, which is a target CTL. Um, but really, it comes down to what you as an individual can can recover from and maintain consistently over a six-month period. And so, you know, I think about you collect the data in year one. Well, there's a lot of value there, but that data becomes infinitely more powerful when you go into year two, three, four. Because then you can look back and say, okay, where did I perform well? Where did I not feel good? Okay, well, let's hone in on where you did not feel good. Oh, my TSB was negative 30 you know, for that whole entire week or something, right? Right. Um, that is an indicator. Well, maybe we shouldn't get to negative 30 for more than three days in a row, you know, mm-hmm. for example. Um, and so it really comes down to what what can you as an individual recover from and have, have those gains along the way. Um, and so go back in your history, look at your negative, your TSB, and where did you feel horrible? And what was that negative TSB? And what are some governors you might set on yourself for? I will not go below this negative TSB for a certain number of days. And that can then start to make your training more dynamic and more individualized. Um, I also think another maybe rule of thumb is, um, you know, if you are four to six months out from a race, you know, you can set maybe a 10% increase, you know, mm-hmm. for your, for your CTL. Um, especially if you're, you have a number of years behind you. And so right. what does that look like? If you go into training peaks, annual training plan, it does ask you for a target CTL on a particular race day. So, so maybe put in 10% increase over four or six months and see what that periodization plan, you know, looks like for you. And and that's uh yeah that's a, that's really interesting. It's something that we we've we've looked at in the past too is is that ten percent and saying you know when when you're below a certain level then you you can kind of throw that off because you know if you're only at twenty like you can do more than two you know per per week kind of thing. Uh-huh. But then you know once you get up uh, in right. that you know fifty kind of range then that that starts to become a really you know a, a good rule of thumb because you're saying like okay well. If I can do five a week and, and, and then suddenly, you know, now it's six and I can kind of increment that up, you know, as, as the months go by, um, as long as, again, as long as, as you have the, the time and, uh, because CTL is, is kind of this mixture of duration and intensity. Um, you know, we, we didn't really talk about like what goes into TSS and how it kind of gets rolled up into it. But, um, you know, there's, there's only so much, you know, if this block is, if you have a block of training that's focused on uh, trying to improve uh, like a, like a FTP metric or something like that, you're, you're really putting in some good intensity work, right? It's not just a a base building and and kind of more endurance uh, activities. You know, you may want to, to lower that ramp rate, right? Meaning that you, you may want to, if you're focused on something that requires more recovery, then, then you don't, you know, you, you kind of want to avoid potential injury risk and things like that. So if you're really focused on increasing, you know, the, the shorter duration power doing intervals, doing a lot of hard sessions like that, then you may not expect your CTL to raise by as much. Whereas when you're putting in these longer base rides and and doing more uh, endurance activities, then you could expect, uh, you know, uh, 
to, that your ramp rate could increase um, based on that. Yeah, good point. The goal is not to reach as high a CTL as you, you possibly can. <laughs> you know, a, high, a, a high CTL only suggests a potential, you know, for high performance. It isn't the all encompassing number that you should focus on. One thing, um, but certainly, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say one thing that we have started to look at, and and uh, is this idea, especially in running right now, is this idea of. Um, what Dirk mentioned, the, the potential, right? So right. saying that it's not a single factor. CTL, you know, Dirk and I, well, let's say I had the same CTL as he, he does, which which is not going to happen, but <laughs> not with three kids anyway. But if I had <laughs> if I had the same CTL as, CTL as him, doesn't mean that I could outperform on a, on a bicycle, right? It, it, but um in, in likewise running, right? doesn't mean that he could outperform me. If we both had a hundred CTL, doesn't mean he can outperform me at a marathon, right? It, it just means that, that we have this kind of capacity. <laughs> uh, we, we have this load or we have this, this capacity for training. Right. Um, and so that's one side of the equation. The other side of the equation that we, that we're really delving into is, um, looking at your potential, right? Your metrics. So like your, let's say I have a threshold pace. Well, if my CTL is very specific to running and I have this threshold pace that's been tested and, and validated recently, then I can say like, okay, well, I know if my CTL is 100, I can maintain a higher percentage of that threshold for longer than I could if my CTL was 50. Mm-hmm. Um, so we start to look at it as a way to kind of in conjunction with FTP or threshold pace uh, as a way to, to kind of look at your potential. Um, so right. uh, kind of a, a two-sided equation for that. Yeah. Good point. My dad always says his CTL is always higher than mine, but it doesn't mean he can beat me, but <laughs> well, oh, well, I hope when I'm 77 years old, I can have the same CTL as my father. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, I, one rule of thumb that I always liked from, from Joe was, um, uh, returning to zero. So every, you know, X amount of time you got to get, you got to return to zero. And this was a TSB thing where, you know, right. it, yep. Yeah. Every, whether it's every four weeks or every three weeks or whatever is right for you and, and your coach kind of figure this out, um, you know, getting back to the positive, right. And, and allowing yourself to recover. Cause it is hard for people to see that your CTL is going to go down, right? Like there are going to be points where you're, you know, we, we call it fitness, but it, but really, you know, your load is going to go down, but that's so that you can load it back up again. Right. And yeah. So. Yeah. Super cool. Hey, uh, we've got to wrap things up, Ryan, but, um, yeah, looking forward to, uh, getting out. I'm getting on my first uh, start line in a long time next week in a mountain bike race. I'm underprepared, but I figure it'll <laughs> kick my butt in gear. Uh, it's going to be an intensity factor of two, but, uh, <laughs> for me, I'll be tasting blood, but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, any closing thoughts for you there, Ryan? No, I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, it, getting back to racing, I'm doing hood to coast with a couple of mm. training peaks employees as well. So, um, cool. pretty excited about that in August and, and yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, the, we had to find motivation for such a long time. And now it's, it's so nice to have like that, that, that extra, like, you know, real motivation of getting to the starting line and going, Oh man, the nervousness and everything like that. That's uh, it's really exciting. So. 
Yeah, super cool. Thanks for joining me today. It's been a great pleasure for having you uh, share your wisdom. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. For more episodes, visit trainingpeaks.com slash podcasts. Please head on over to Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you find your podcast to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Until next time, get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge.